Rodgers is caught in the end zone for a touchdown. In the end And welcome to the stream, everybody. Sorry about the late start tonight. You're listening to the North Pole on the Review and Preview Sports Network. I am uh, going to have a great show lined up today. I have a bunch of guests coming on. I have Jeremy Reisman, managing editor from the Pride of Detroit.com. Uh, He's going to be coming on in just a moment at 6:10. Everything got pushed back about five minutes. Sorry about that. Um, and then after that, I will be bringing on uh, Caitlin Leaner from the Chicago Bears uh, Bear Down Girl podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about that game last night. And then at last, we're going to be previewing the Vikings and Packers game this Sunday. This week past week seven, I can't wait to talk about it in the NFC North. This was an unbelievable, as I try to get the North Pole, and as you guys see, the pumpkin with the Santa hat. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, we have a great, we had a great week in the NFC North, the lions taking down the Falcons. The Vikings are now the only team that have not beaten the Atlanta Falcons in the division. I would not have thought that if you told me that before the season started. And then, um, we had the bears laying an egg. I predicted that on my show last week that they would come out really flat. And then, uh, the Vikings had the week off, and the Packers took care of business against the Texans. Uh, since we last met last Tuesday night, we've had a little bit of a shakeup in the division. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, if you didn't hear already, got traded for about not even close to what the Vikings got him for. And now it appears that the Vikings are in tank for Trevor Lawrence mode, even though Kirk Cousins still is due to get paid $35 million next season. And then in other news, Harrison Smith, Kyle Rudolph on the trading block in Minnesota. They really are trying to <laughs> ruin this season and just make the most uh, draft picks and try to, you know, get back into the swing of things for the future. And then what me and Jeremy are going to be talking about in just a few moments, the Detroit Lions just about an hour ago trading for Everson Griffin, former Minnesota Viking, for just a six-round pick uh, from the Dallas Cowboys. And if you didn't know, Everson Griffin, he still got some juice. I love that trade by Detroit and me and Jeremy. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, and let's get started. I'm going to be bringing on Jeremy in just a moment, just after this video clip of the game uh, the other day. Hit hard as soon as he got the football. Official rule touchdown. Obviously can't challenge. End zone throw. It doesn't matter. There's Ridley. Touchdown. Todd Gurley to the goal line. Touchdown. I think he thought about waiting and letting the clock run out. I don't think there's any questions. Stafford, middle of the field. Catch, Mick. What kind of pressure do they put on Matthew Stafford? 
hesitates, throws, touchdown, Lions! The extra point, and there's a flag down as the Lions rush the field. And welcome to the North Pole. Jeremy Reisman, is that how you pronounce your last name? Uh, Reisman, Reisman. Reisman, you got it. Uh, thanks a lot for joining. I know short notice. I really, really wanted to get uh, somebody who's an expert on the Lions, and I've read a lot of your articles. I love what you do with the pride of Detroit, and uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate that, Gabe. Yeah, things got a little hectic there with the, the trade that just went down, but uh, happy to spend some time to talk about it. Yeah, I, I figured, like, what was the odds of that right before the show? That that actually was really awesome that that happened. Now we could talk about that because coming from a Vikings fan, I didn't tell you before the show, I'm, I'm actually a Vikings fan. Ah. But this year, though, I'm actually slowly becoming an NFC North fan by doing this show. And sure. it came in clutch because the Vikings have just been awful this year. Um, and Let's start with the game yesterday before – actually, you know what? Let's start with the trade because that's like the most pressing news. I just sure. want to hear your initial thoughts on that Everson Griffin trade. Yeah, I mean it's definitely going to be a crowd pleaser. Lions fans have been begging for a pass rusher for years upon years upon years now, and they need one. It, it, there's there's no question about it. They're towards the, the lowest in the league in pass rush win rate. And so getting a guy that they're very, very, very familiar with in Everson Griffin seems like a good move, a conditional six. So it could be as, as high as a fifth, depending on some conditions that we're not sure of yet. So the price is cheap. His contract is is fairly cheap. It's only for the remainder of the year, though. Um, in, in terms of downsides to it, though, I mean, Griffin doesn't have as much juice as he used to. He's still, you know, he had a really good year in Minnesota last year. I know it kind of tailed off towards the end of the, last year. And then Dallas, it just wasn't working out. I, I tend to think the Lions know exactly how they want to use him, though. Maybe Dallas didn't. So I, I think overall, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about the trade. Although I know, uh, I think Lions fans and myself have to understand his limitations at, at almost 33 years old right now. He's he's not the guy he used to be. And not I, that's a good point. He's definitely not the guy he he used in the past, but only. Three years ago, I think it was 2017, he was 29 and had a 13-and-a-half sack season. Um, but it's also a new defense, and the scheme is so much different with what Matt Patricia runs than what he's than what he was accustomed to in Minnesota. That was my first thought was yeah. he's going to a 3-4 defense, and he's never played in the stand-up uh, defensive end role, really, in his career. But what's funny is it's not that he's just your old-school put your go in a three-point stance defensive end he's an insane athlete he really is an awesome athlete he would in his beginning of his career with Minnesota he was a gunner on the punt he played the gunner so he's I could see him fitting in in a stand-up three-four defensive end role but he's certainly going to be limited in any coverage situations um yeah yeah and I, I, I think, well, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I think, I think the lines are probably going to know all that. And I think they might ease them in. They, they probably know like, Hey, we know what you're good for right now. You're a great pass rusher, whether you're, you're hands in the ground or not. So we'll probably maybe just start by having you in a limited role. You're a pass rusher. When we're in second and longs and third and longs, you're out there. Other than that, we're going to kind of 
you know, rest you in, ease you in, make sure you're learning the defense because the lines do have a complicated defense, but they really like to move their parts all around. So it's not like he'll just kind of be that, that three, four defensive end necessarily. They might move him inside. They might put his hands in the dirt. They'll use him however they, they really want. Um, but I have to imagine they'll probably ease him in a little bit slowly. Absolutely. I want to get to their defense in a moment, but at first I want to get to their offense, the way their offensive play offense played yesterday. I have the final drive here. Um, and take me through this drive, Jeremy. What was going through your head when they got the ball back with 40 seconds left? Well, I mean, I was hoping for a vintage Stafford performance. Uh, t- 2016, he did this sort of stuff almost every single week where he'd have – you know, maybe a minute left, maybe two minutes left, no timeouts, three timeouts, didn't matter. Seemed like he was always fully capable of making these, you know, late minute drives. And so, you know, when it was happening, I was still, I was still kind of just into disbelief that they even got the ball back because of Todd Gurley's mistake. Um, but I knew Stafford had it in him. It, it, he wasn't playing particularly well up until this point in the season. In the game, he was doing fine. Kenny Galladay was a beast in this game. So I, I had hope that something could potentially happen. Um, they went a little bit slower pace than I expected. A lot of small chunks to begin with, but once they got that big chunk to Kenny Galladay at the end, I knew they were going to have one more shot. And uh, more often than not, I will I will bet on Matthew Stafford with one shot from the eleven yard line. Yeah, and Matt Stafford in this game, you mentioned he hadn't had a really Matt, Matt Stafford esque season. This was his first game over three hundred yards passing, and this is a new look offense. This looked like. It, it, it is a new look offense this year with the three-headed running back and just great running backs all around. But this game, they went back to the old lines where it was throw, throw, throw um, down the field. Kenny Galladay's back, and he is—he looks great. He looks absolutely phenomenal. Andrew Hopper, he's a big Bears fan. Uh, he has a question. Is Matt Patricia on the hot seat if the Lions finish the season with a losing streak, uh, you want to take that one, Jeremy? Sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, no question. I, uh, you go back two weeks ago; he was already on the hot street, on the hot seat. A one in three record. Um, I, I don't. We we actually ran a poll um, for our fans: how many people approved of the job Matt Patricia was doing in year three when they were one in three? We got a three percent approval rate. Uh, so pretty much everyone was on board of you know either pulling the trigger mid season or doing it after the season. You bounce back with with three wins in the next four games, and now suddenly, you know, maybe maybe things are starting to click. The defense certainly looks a lot better. Um, the offense is still kind of that work in progress, but we saw them kind of let the reins off Stafford, as you said last week. So, um, if it all turns around again and this team finishes five and eleven, six and ten, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the owner, the now owner of the team, uh, Sheila Ford Hamp, who made a statement last year when they decided to retain both him and general manager Bob Quinn, said, "Listen." This team needs to be competitive in, in December. This team needs to be in the playoff hunt. So, yeah, if they go on a losing streak here and are out of the race by early December, you better believe they're on the hot seat. For sure. This team, what I like, I want to pull up their offensive highlights throughout the game, is their offensive line play is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. This, I mean, free agency was, was a big splash for them, and I think they had the best free agency out of any team in the NFC North. Uh, we know the Bears didn't really improve much with free agency. Robert Quinn looks like a bust to me. Ed, I think they put all their money into where it needed to be, and that's the offensive line. And you see these holes and these the amount of time Stafford has. How much can you contribute his success uh, to the offensive line? I, th- I think there's a big uh, kind of correlation there, and and you're you're right. They they 
and this has kind of been in a work in progress for a long time. You know, Frank Rag now is, is a first round draft pick. So is Taylor Decker, their left tackle. Um, they pick up a couple guards in this year's draft with Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg. We still haven't seen Stenberg, but Jonah Jackson has been great. And then they go out and get Halapuli Vati Vaitai in free agency. Kind of a controversial move because the Lions really liked, Lions fans at least, really liked Graham Glasgow. Um, kind of a homegrown guy, you know, went to University of Michigan, could play guard and center. They let him hit free agency, which a lot of people question. But you bring in Halapuli Vati Vaitai, he can play guard and tackle. They've got him playing guard right now, which is a bit of a surprise. But he's doing an okay job there. And so everything is kind of holding together, which is a bit of a surprise because some people, I think, um, in Detroit were a little concerned about specifically that Graham Glasgow move. But yeah, everything seems to be clicking pretty well. They're run blocking pretty well, which is more important, I think, to this coaching staff. And then pass protection's been good. It, it hit a couple road bumps last week against Atlanta because they showed some new pressures that they hadn't shown uh, previously. But as a whole, I think this offensive line has been as stable as it's been in Detroit in, in some time. And and yeah, that that's the reason why the offense is humming along pretty well. Yeah, they have, I think, two or three offensive linemen who are in the top five in PFF at their position. Uh, and that's that's awesome for them. I think another thing that we have to look into and that supports how well their offensive line is playing is Matt Stafford in this game was throwing the ball down the field so well. Yeah. On passes, I have a stat here. I love NFL next-gen stats. I'm a mm-hmm. sucker for stats. And, and I got Matt Stafford here, 13 for 15 for 266 yards and a touchdown. Passes over 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. Matt Ryan just had 9 for 11 for 165 yards. Passes over 10 yards. So you see it's not just dinky little checkdowns. It, it, he's really throwing it uh, on a dime to these guys deep. And TJ Hawkinson's a guy who can go deep. Kenny Galladay, we know, loves the deep ball. Uh, Danny Amendola even finds a way to make his, his way down the field a lot. This team could throw it deep, and they're built for comebacks. But is there any problem with that kind of philosophy where you love to throw the ball down the field so much, do you think? Um, I don't think that's a problem in Detroit necessarily. I, I think you could maybe make the argument that they don't do it enough. Um, when Matthew Stafford does throw the ball, he does like to go deep. And, and last year, I think he was towards the top of the league in uh, intended air yards, um, which is another next-gen stat. So love to to aim downfield. I think the issue that a lot of people have are they just, they're just running the ball too much. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of the same thing that, that Seahawks fans were complaining for the longest time with Russell Wilson. In fact, we literally just put out a shirt called Let Staff Cook because we want to see him throw the ball more. Um, like you said, this was his first game with 300 yards all season because they've been really, really attached to establishing the run with that three-headed beast, DeAndre Swift, um, Adrian Peterson, who's really kind of struggled in the last couple games. So um, to see them, they, they kind of had to resort to throwing the ball a lot in that Atlanta game because they were down late. Um, but prior to the game, they were really trying to run the ball more. But when you got a, a weapon like uh, Kenny Galladay, who who had an absolutely fantastic game against the Falcons, you got a guy like TJ Hawkinson, who's really only catching about four to five balls a game. When I mean, you, you go and look at a guy, uh, you know, everyone wants to compare him to George Kittle, but um, George Kittle's getting 10, 12 targets a game. Hawkinson's getting half of that. So you, there, there's actually room to grow there in the passing game, but it does seem like the lines are a little fixated on, on continuing to run the game and then mix in those deep shots. And it works at times, but it's obviously, at least from my perspective, it can be frustrating at times when those deep shots are working so often. It, it is because of Kenny Galladay. He, is, he bails out Stafford on a lot of these throws. I'm going to bring up next gen again. He had only a little over one yard of separation on all of these intended passes. 
and he had six catches on seven targets. So yeah. he's got, on average, a yard of separation. If this was Madden, his spectacular catch or his catch in traffic would be <laughs> a 99. It's it's amazing to have a guy that you can trust to just throw it up to. And if he doesn't catch it, it'll probably be pass interference because he's so good. Uh, but I think another reason they won this game in a way is because they got the ball last. Yeah, I think that's something we have to understand is that they like to play from behind maybe a little more than they like to play ahead because they, they, I think they've been using the run game a lot this year because they felt the need to, to hold on to the ball longer because they're afraid their defense is going to blow it. And yeah. we saw that game. I, I read one of your articles last week after the Jaguars game and you were talking about, it was so close to blowing it, but they didn't because they didn't act like they were, they were winning. They yeah. acted like they were, they were aggressive. They were playing like they were behind. And I think this is a Lions team that needs to just be aggressive all four quarters. Uh, and you pointed that out. This is two weeks in a row now that they put together kind of a complete game in a, in a little way. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I'd love to see them kind of keep the pedal to the metal, but that's it's not it's not Matt Patricia style. He really believes in controlling the clock, like you said, whether they have a lead or not. Um and and when they get out to those leads and and let's say you know there's five minutes left in the game they have the ball and and they have a lead he's going to try to run that clock that is going to be his number one priority not go down and extend the lead his his priority will be to bleed those five second five minutes from the clock and it's just something Lions fans are going to have to deal with and and live with but um there there's some you know, rationale to that. And we see good teams that can run the ball really well, be able to do that sort of thing. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a low risk way to win. Um, But at the same time, I'm not sure the Lions running game is quite there yet. And so when you got a quarterback like Matthew Stafford and you got a playmaker like Kenny Galladay, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yeah, it's they, their playmaking is amazing. I think it's, if you put the Lions offense on the Bear, with the Bears defense, that would be the best team in the NFL. And, <laughs> and they run similar offenses where they spread it out a lot. It's mm-hmm. almost like the, the Bears are trying to be like the Lions offensively with the spread out offense, and it's just not there at all. And that's, I think, offensive line and receiving core has a lot to do with it. Let's move on now to their defense. Uh, you got to give a lot of credit to Romeo Aquara, two sacks. Um, I don't know if Jamie Collins got any sacks. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, but their secondary held up pretty well in the deep in the deep game. Like I said, they gave up a lot of like you know eight yard throws to Calvin yeah. Ridley, Julio Jones. But they've been doing this all year, where they've been playing really soft coverage, and Minnesota's been doing that too, where they've been playing soft coverage. You have a young set of corners, and I think this was just a great game where they bent, but they didn't really break all too much in this one. Yeah, that was that was definitely the game plan. It, it, it's kind of their game plan, period, no matter what week they're in. But the the real story, I think, with the Lions defense, at least over the past two weeks, right out of that bye week, is the run defense. It was one of the worst in the league through the four game, first four games. They come out against Jacksonville, hold uh, James Robinson to basically nothing. They come back, do the exact same thing to Atlanta. Atlanta is forced to essentially become a one-dimensional team halfway through that game. Todd Gurley does nothing that entire game except for score an accidental touchdown there at the end. Um, and so that, I mean, again, that's one of Matt Patricia's pillars of, of playing football, is stopping the run first, making teams one-dimensional. And the Lions have been really, really, really good at that over the past two weeks. And and you've seen some schematic changes. They're, they're getting a lot 
a lot of a lot of defensive tackles in the game. We've seen a lot of three defensive tackle looks on this defense that we weren't seeing very often before. So seems like they may have figured that part out. Now the part is fixing that kind of young secondary. It feels like they're playing really passively right now, maybe to co- accommodate their young corners and um, Jeff Okuda, who's obviously their their first round pick this year, and then Amani Oruwari is the other starter right now. He's last year's fifth round pick. So they got a bunch of young corners that I feel like they're coddling a little bit right now, and, and understandably so because both those players have gone through some struggles. Um, but at some point, you kind of got the you got to take the 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 reins off, you take the training wheels off, let these guys play and, and see what they can do because the pass defense, while numerically statistically doesn't look that bad, um, they they haven't been good either. They, they haven't been quite as playmaking as I think some people hope would be. The Lions are certainly missing a guy like Darius Slay these days. So um, there's still a lot of work to be done, especially on the back end of that defense right now. And what was, I, I agree. And I think what makes their defense also struggle a lot in keeping up these long, lengthy, lengthy drives because they're just not making a lot of stops. I think it has to do with their lack of blitzes. I, I read a stat. They, they're one of the lowest blitzing teams. And they probably put eight guys in coverage off. And you watch the games way more than me. And that must drive you crazy how much they're willing to concede like plays, uh, like short routes. Uh, and yeah. eventually, I think the Vikings, they, they, they were doing that in the first few weeks, big time. They were conceding everything under 10 yards because they were so scared after that Packer game. And then they play the Seahawks and they play their best defensive performance because they just say, screw it. Let's send pressure. Let's blitz. Yeah. We're not going to get any better by just giving up these passes. And it worked. And I think that's similar. The Lions are in a really similar boat right now with their cornerback situation. I think Akuda still has a bigger ceiling than Gladney does. I, I will bash Gladney all day. He, he looks really <laughs> bad in Minnesota right now. Um, but is there a at linebacker? I know you had Jelani Tavai starting at middle linebacker. And I didn't really like him on film. I watched him on film. He, he misses a lot of tackles. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of range he's not really fast uh do you think their linebacker spot is is maybe like their weakest spot aside from their secondary uh without question no question at all jamie collins has been a big help um he's been he's been really great in three games really bad in one game and got ejected in the other so it's kind of been a mixed bag with him but he's clearly the team's best linebacker and if he plays a good game that defense is going to follow um so he's been a big help but really, the Lions have struggled to find anyone else. Reggie Ragland was a free agent pickup that's been getting more playing time um, than Jelani Tavai, last year's second-round pick, or Jared Davis, their first-round pick from about four years ago, um, who's basically been relegated to a, a pass-rushing role only. So, yeah, I think the Lions aren't particularly deep at linebacker. Um, I would say Jamie Collins is the only one that can really drop into coverage, and you hit the nail on the head with Jelani. I think I think he's really struggled with tackling. He's not a, a very athletic guy either. Um, he's he's still getting a lot of playing time because I feel like this this coaching staff still believes in him, but the early returns on his second year have not been particularly good, and uh, I think the Lions should be concerned at this point about him. At least you guys don't have a ton of money wound up in your line, like in your middle linebacker. Like we do, we have Anthony Barr at, in Minnesota. We have so much money wound up in our linebacking court, in our defense in general. So you guys have flexibility to move on at any point. Question here from Andrew Andrew Hopper: uh, Do you think do you think they look for a quarterback in the draft? I'm going to go out right now and say they don't because they have way too much money invested in Stafford, and he probably they, they he 
they just can't give up on him. I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot depends on, on what happens, I think, in the next 10 games. We, we already kind of broached that topic earlier in the season when it looked like everything was about to get blown up, when this team was 1-3, not looking very promising on either side of the ball. Um, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford himself wasn't playing particularly well at that moment. And so we, we asked that question, and, and I think it was a fair question to ask, like, if the GM gets fired, if the coach co- gets fired, if the Lions have a top five pick, which it looked like at that point they might, do they blow everything up? Do they decide to draft a quarterback of the future and either trade Stafford or, or give him one or two more years? And I think at that point it was a fair question to ask. Now that this team is kind of more middle of the pack and, and not necessarily going to have that top five, top ten pick and and might not you know fire their GM and, and head coach, I think you're right. Um, they've still got a lot of money tied up in Stafford. He's still capable of playing at a really high level. How many years does he have left? I know he'd love to play for as many as possible. I know he's committed to Detroit. He wants to win a championship here, so I don't think there's any risk of him wanting to leave. Um, but we did see some signs of him not playing so well at the beginning of the year, and he has gone through some injuries lately. So it's hard It's hard for me to say how long he's committed to playing football, but anytime you ask him about his future, he says he's committed to football. It's all he's thinking about. He, he loves the game. He loves Detroit. So, I mean, you, he could be one of those quarterbacks to, to play to 40, um, but we need to see a little more leveling out of his, his skill because it was kind of a, a troubling start to the season, to be honest. Yeah, and let's – Finish off now with a prediction for this upcoming game. Tom Scavetta with the comment. He's having trouble picking the Lions-Colts game this weekend. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I'm just kind of getting into my Colts scouting report. I was really, I was actually about to start it tonight before the the Everson Griffin train <laughs> kind of trade kind of you know ruined my plans a little bit there. Um, but I know the Colts have a really really good defense. Um, it should be a huge challenge for Detroit to put up points. Um, but I have questions about Philip Rivers. I know he's he's improved in a couple in the past couple weeks. Um, I I don't think his arm talent is still there. I'm not convinced that their their offense is 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 that good. Um, their running game is is slow as well. So I think this is going to be a low scoring game. And when that happens, you know, I it, it could really go either way. I know that's that's probably not going to help you a lot, Thomas. But I, I haven't made a decision here yet. Um, I, I I really want to kind of dive into the Colts film and see. Um, what's happening, but they do have the advantage of, of now having two weeks to, to think about this one since they are coming off the bye week. So if I had to pick a leaning, I'm probably leaning Colts right now, but I think this is a game where it truly is a, to- a coin flip. And uh, for that one, I will show you my prediction. I have the Colts winning 33-24. I, and you said low-scoring game, and I thought that too because you saw how the Colts-Vikings game went. You saw how the Colts-Bears game went, uh, but the, the offensive – I just think Detroit's offense is much more high-powered than both of those offenses. I think they find a way to get points on the board, but the more points the Lions score, ultimately, the more points they will give up. So Fair. it's going to it's going to be a very uh, fluctuating game. There there could be a lot of lead changes, but I, I do think the I think the bye week makes such a big difference. Yeah. And Frank Reich is one of the best coaches in the NFL, and I just think. I still think, though, the Lions lose this game. I still think they have a fair shot to make the postseason. I think the the wheels are going to come flying off on the bear train, and I'm going to talk about that with Caitlin Leaner in in just a moment. Um, But do you have any more thoughts uh, about the Lions and how they're looking this season, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, the trajectory right now is up. The the question, though, is it always – I mean, it's crazy how the last three years have worked out for the Lions. They they started out bad in all three years under Matt Patricia, worked their way to three and three, in 2018, worked their way to th- to two, three, and one last year, 
and now they're at three and three again. And this is the part where everything started to go downhill for the Lions in the past two years. They, they lost their last nine games last year. They, they lost something like eight of 10 in, in 2018. So can they keep the boat afloat is, is the big question. And, and it's one I'm very eager to find out because it's kind of scary to be the exact same place where this team was in the past two years because those did not work out. Yeah, this is a, it's a brand new season in the NFC North. That's all I can conclude this sure. year with. Thank you for coming on the show, Jamie. I really appreciate it, and I'd love to stay in contact in the future. Sounds good, Gabe. All right, and now next up, we're going to be bringing on Caitlin Leaner after just one video I want to show. Uh, it's tooting my own horn a little bit. It is uh, my what I said on the show last week about how I thought the Bears-Rams game would go. Stay tuned, and then Caitlin Leaner will be coming on uh, right after this. I think Nick Foles is going to struggle in this one. The Rams are going to get points. It's a given that that they're going to get 20 to 24 points in this one. You take Allen Robinson out of the game in Chicago, who does Nick Foles have to throw to? Uh, Jimmy Graham, Darnell Mooney, not really guys that you that are your main options. And I think the, the, the Bears will struggle and it will get ugly for them. And I think finally we'll see the uh, the trash behind the curtain in Chicago. It's going to be clear after this week that it's not all smooth sailing in Chicago right now. And welcome to the North Pole, Caitlin. Uh, that was just a little video I put together. Uh, I, I, I mean... The, the Bears, I think everybody knew it would come to a point where the Bears would have a, a loss and it wouldn't be pretty. And it just came a little sooner than Bears fans would have hoped. But thank you for joining the show. And uh, what, what were your thoughts on the game, Caitlin? Well, um, wow, that video, you, you're not thinking highly of the Bears right now, man. Um, but the game, um, well, look yeah. At my jersey. What, yeah. What do you expect me to say? I, yeah. I wouldn't say that about the Vikings. And I probably wouldn't say it about the Packers. I yeah, have a little bit of a bias. <laughs> yeah, I do. I because like I, on the other side, I have my thoughts about Kirk Cousins, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, I would love to hear. But I, I want him to go. But continue, please. Yes. Um, so this game, um, <laughs> this game was rough to watch. Not gonna lie. Um, it it just was. Uh, it was kind of like bound to happen. Obviously, I never thought the Bears were going to go fifteen and one in my brain, my heart was saying, yes, we're going 15 and one. It's going to happen. But obviously logic comes. And I knew our, you know, our schedule coming up, it says we knew all these tough teams were coming up the Rams, now the saints and then the Titans. So it was going to be some of our toughest opponents. And I was hopeful that they could have like a kind of showing they did in 2018, where they pretty much kind of like really, destroyed that Rams offense as a defense. And I was hopeful that that could happen this year, especially how the the defense has been playing thus far. But the big issue, obviously, is offense. There's just so many issues right now, and we couldn't get anything going. Yeah, and we'll get to Matt Nagy in a second. Uh, First, let's start with Mr. Nick Foles. And uh, he hasn't hasn't been playing well. Right now, he's 31st in PFF. uh, And – is it the offensive coordinator? Is, is it Matt Nagy that's really limiting him? Uh, is it the offensive line that's giving him virtually no time to throw the ball? Is it the tempo of the offense? Give me uh, a list of 
people to blame right now on why this offense now the fifth time in seven games has registered less than 300 total yards. My number one issue is the offensive line. They're not helping out in the running game. They're not getting any push up front, not creating any holes or any lanes. I mean, David Montgomery trying to run up the middle. It's just like nothing's happening for us. And that's the biggest issue because so their offensive line, they're not run blocking well. And that creates us not having a running game. And so it makes us one dimensional on offense. And so that puts Nick Foles in a tough spot. And then you have the fact that they're not doing a job, a good job at protecting him. And basically, as soon as he's getting the ball, he's pretty much getting rushed already. He's not having time to set his feet, make decisions, see the receivers. I mean, you could say Nick Foles, he's throwing these bad passes. They're inaccurate. He's turning the ball over. But think about what he's dealing with. As soon as he's getting the ball, he's already getting rushed. And he has no time to basically even see an open receiver. And that's why he's missing these guys. So the number one issue for me is offensive line. Play calling, it would be very close behind. But I'm going to lean more towards this offensive line. And to build on that, Caitlin, when you have such a really a weak performing offensive line, and I brought you on the show a, a few weeks ago, and, and it felt like the offensive line was back to 2018 form. It felt so good to have, have everybody playing at a high level, but then James Daniels' left guard goes down. Then we saw last night, or yeah, last night, Cody Whitehair also go down with an injury. They're imploding right now. Charles Leno Jr. isn't playing as well as he did in the first couple weeks. I think Bobby Massey is really the only consistent player at right tackle. And this is really affecting their ability to make the big play. If we watch, if you watched the broadcast last night, you heard Brian Greasy, the color commentator, always say they just need to make a big play. They're not getting, they're not able to drive the ball down the field. And then they proceeded to drive the ball right down the field and have a beautiful drive. But that big play just didn't come last night, and it was very close to happening. Darnell Mooney, there was times where he completely shook Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey bit on a lot of those routes, and you can't blame Foles. Like, right when you said he has to throw the ball right when he got rushed, we, I was showing the highlight of him throwing in the end zone, and he had to throw within two seconds. It's really, really tough for Foles. And let's get to Matt Nagy. When you have an offensive line this bad, how do you change your game plan? Because whatever he's doing right now, it isn't working. And that's the issue. That's why we're not getting any better on offense because he continues to do the same thing that's not working for us. And what he needs to do is get Nick Foles. The way you can get past a bad offensive line is get Nick Foles moving around, bootleg, moving around outside the pocket, just get him moving around. So it's just shifting. And so you just have him continue to take these dropbacks where he's consistently getting rushed. And it's like these play calls he's putting out there, it's not helping out at all. And I mean, <laughs> it's hard for Nick Foles to have any kind of success when um, that's happening. And so he needs to kind of get Nick Foles moving around. I, I would love to see a running game happening, but it's this offensive line. It's really hurting us because all these different things I want for this offense to be, it, it's hard for it to happen when this offensive line is not doing well. And I think you mentioned that they need to run more play action and the way to get him moving out of the pocket. I love that. I, I think that's exactly what they need to do. And we see that in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, how often they utilize the play action because his line is similarly really bad, especially at the guard position. And 
to do that, I think you need to run the ball more, but you need to run the ball under center more. They run shotgun all game long. I was talking to a Detroit Lions writer before, Jeremy Reisman, and he was ta- and I mentioned the Bears try to run the offense that the Lions run, but they don't have the personnel in the offensive line to support it. So I think the Bears need to to simplify their offense, almost go to like a high school type offense where you're just getting yards, positive yardage in the run game, and that'll open up your play action. And they're just not doing that right now. Um, left guard Rashawn Coward made a second start. He's not looking too good, is he? No, he, oh man, he got burned. If he, There's a one play against Aaron Donald where I don't know what Rashad Card was doing. Uh, his blocking attempt was just so awful. And um, we have Alex Bars. I don't know why, I mean, maybe this coming week we'll end up replacing Rashad Card with Alex Bars. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully happening because he's, Coward's just not cutting it for us and we need to get better at that position. Agreed. And another guy who, I wanted to mention, um, yeah, I was actually about to bring special teams up in Cordero Patterson. Uh, Andy Hopper with the comment, Ted Ginn Jr. could try to catch the punt. Um, Ted Ginn is, is essentially useless on this team. I think we all could agree. He's, too, he's older than – he's too old to be playing in the NFL right now, especially for what he made a mark in his career was, which was open field, going deep, catching kicks, punt returns, and whatnot. But Cordero Patterson, there was a point in the game, Caitlin, where they were down 17-3, and it brought me back to that Cordero Patterson uh, moments from the beginning of the year where every time they would go down 14 points in the second half, they would get a big kick return. And Sloman, the Rams kicker, gave him a kick return that he could easily return, and it just didn't open up into anything. Was that the point in the game where you were like, this game, we're not going to come back? (laughs) Yeah, special teams really put me in a bad mood because just all around the Rams were just dominating us. I mean, their punter was just outstanding. And I wasn't really I was just negative when thinking about special teams. So I didn't really think Cordell was going to get anything for us. Um, Obviously, I'm always hopeful that maybe he could break for one and maybe we could get, you know, a la Devin Hester on Monday Night Football. But I I wasn't really hopeful that it was going to happen. And. I think we just got a comment from Andy Hopper that uh, they are the most that Jermaine uh, Ifedi is the most penalized offensive lineman in the league since 2016. 27 false starts. That's unreal. I know Charles Leno Jr. A couple of years, I think it was last year, was one of the highest penalized offensive yeah. tackles. This offensive line isn't getting it done. Special teams. You, I think you guys have the worst PFF rated punter as well. And I think Cairo Santos is also not a permanent um, option at the kicking game either. So there's not a lot going right on offensive special teams. But we come back to the defensive side of the ball, the side of the ball that bails your team out every game. And they gave your offense a breath of fresh air when they returned that fumble for a touchdown. Eddie Jackson finally got the defensive touchdown he really wanted. But what what did the defense not do in this game or – because they didn't do enough to to obviously win the game. It's been a consistent issue for this defense. They're letting, no matter which running back they're facing every week, they just let them just go off. And the issue is they give up too many chunk plays, too many like 10-yard runs, 11-yard runs. And that has a lot to do with um, their kind of bend-don't-break defense. And I don't think that's a sustainable defense. Yeah, they're great in the red zone, great on third downs. But on first and second downs, they're giving up too many first downs. 
And you, and then the, so the running back situation, yeah, they just let everyone go off and they're just not having, I mean, the issue this game, they were having a lot of missed tackles, not wrapping up. I mean, our safety, Eddie Jackson was our leading tackler. And that to me, a safety should never be your leading tackler. That means there is an issue at linebacker. And I saw too many times where, I mean, it's been consistent. Danny Trevath and Roquan Smith missing tackles here and there. And I just felt like that was an issue this game. I totally agree. You mentioned there was too many first downs on first and second down, Caitlin. The Rams had 24 total first downs in this game, and only four of them were converted on third down. So that's a lot of first downs getting uh, being accomplished before they even get to third down. They went down the field so quickly with, like you said, chunk plays. Um, and Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan, wow. They, and that running touchdown by uh, Malcolm Brown right after he moved the pile six yards, he, it was mano a mano, him and Roquan Smith in the end zone. Roquan Smith just tried to tackle him at his head, not even tried to bend down and make the play. I think it's just effort. I think these, I don't know. In this game, it looks like an effort issue, not a talent issue. I think they have enough talent. I just think this week they just laid an egg. And yes, Andy, I, I think that is the theme of this team is it seems like everybody's in panic mode right now in a, in a way, but I do have five and two. I have to mention because being a part of Bears fandom, this is Bears fans. I mean, like I said, we're we're five and two, but yet we're acting like we're this losing team because I mean, Bears fans can be prisoner of the moment sometime. But it is a consistent. I mean, our offense has consistently been terrible, so it's not like this is coming out of nowhere and we're freaking out about it. It is like something. That, you know, as we can see in this game, how they basically got dominated, how that they can, I mean, <laughs> they have a possibility to lose a lot of these games if they don't get their acts together, basically. And Andy, it's it's funny. I don't want to disrespect the Bears because you guys are five and two and the Vikings are one and five. But when we think about this team and they are the leading, they have the most defensive penalties in the NFL. That's something that a one in six team does. They don't move the ball well on offense like a one in six team. They resemble a one in six team in areas of the game, uh, but it's just that defense that seems to be the thing that holds it together for them. And in this one, Jalen Johnson, another beautiful game, uh, only allowed one catch for 14 yards, broke up a pass, three targets. Uh, there's Ken, uh, Kyle Fuller, another great game. But you're right, Eddie Jackson leading the team in tackles. That's not good. One stack, that's not very good. I think what this game came down to was that the Rams were just more creative on offense. They they changed it up. They are very diverse offense. And the Bears do one thing. And you were right before. They just do one thing. They, they run it out of the shotgun with barely any wrinkles. And it's just bread and butter. That's all they do. They don't have anything that spices it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you're talking about um, our offense. You're saying we the don't... Bears offense, the yeah. Bears offense, in my opinion, what we saw the the, contra- the contrast between the Rams offense and Bears offense is that the Rams are a spicy offense led by Sean McVay, who likes to, to have different angles of attack. And it just feels like the Bears rely on Allen Robinson and and short routes all the time. 
Yeah, that you could definitely see the difference between Matt Nagy and Sean McVay, how they run their offenses. And as you can see, McVay, I don't think Jared Goff is the best quarterback, but man, McVay looks, makes him look really good. And the thing is, the reason why they're having so much success against our defense was they were, I mean, they were lining up quickly. Our defense couldn't even get set half the time. There was one instance where they were standing in the huddle and it was like eight, nine seconds left on the play clock. And then they just like hurry up and set up. And the defense is just like, wait, what's going on? And they snapped the ball. It was just like defense could not counteract that. And they just had a whole different quick tempo that our defense just could not adjust to. And, and you can see how Sean McVay just can see the defense he's facing and find ways to attack it. And where Matt Nagy just continues to do the same thing over and over again. And hopefully, and then hope it will work this time. And it doesn't. Precisely. Very well said, Caitlin. And Kevin O'Brien, Packers fan, with the comment, Bears are going ex- instinct. <laughs> he said instinct. I, I, it's extinct, Kevin. At an alarming rate in the state of Wisconsin. I guess in the state of Wisconsin, they don't teach English either. Uh, but Kevin, Kevin's from New York. He's not from Wisconsin. But either way, um, we actually went to the same high school, so that, that might make me look bad too. But um, <laughs> anyways, uh, the I want to preview the Bears and Saints game. So we've seen the Lions play a really tight game with the with the Saints. We've seen the, the Packers play a really tight game. They won. Uh, and now we have the Bears playing them. And what will the Bears do differently to win this game? Uh, or will it be the same old Bears losing against a good opponent? Well, I'm not buying into the Saints this much this year. I don't think Drew Brees looks the same. He looks a little bit washed up at this point. No offense, Drew Brees. But um, as far as our team, it's going to be key on what Matt Nagy does to adjust. And I think he needs to have a hard look at himself in the mirror and say, I need to stop being so stubborn and trying to do what I want and realize I need to look at the personnel, what we're dealing with, what we're dealing with at offensive line, and how can I get the best out of this situation and stop trying to do what you think is going to work, but do what you know will work with what we have. I think it's going to rely on, make sure you make it about your your reliable playmakers, and that would be Allen Robinson, who's consistent for us. David Montgomery, I think he's so good. He's just so underutilized, and he's one of those kind of guys. He's hard to get down, and he, I mean, so many yards after contact for him, and he just, I'm so tired of him getting taken off the field on third and shorts and fourth and shorts, and we need to stop making it about Cordell Patterson. He needs to be a gadget guy we can throw in just as little extra topping, but it needs to really be about Allen Robinson. It needs to be about Darnell Mooney. I think um, people don't realize how much he's really overachieved a little bit so far as a rookie and all these chance, all these shots that he's getting open. It's just Nick Bowles is not able to connect with him. So incorporate him more in the offense and Cole Komet. We saw him make a really monster catch this game. I want to see him more. So if, if Matt Nagy makes some adjustments and hopefully he will, I think we could have a better showing. What's your prediction for the game, Caitlin? I think we have to have a bounce back win just to get some, I mean, it was a rough showing last night. So I think just for their mentality to stay optimistic, don't get, you know, down in the dumps, they need to get a win. And um, it's at home. I'm not, I mean, we don't have any fans in the stands right now, so it's not really like a home field advantage, but we're still home. And so um, I've, feel like we'll be able to take advantage of the Saints and maybe just be more motivated and want to come back and win. So I think they're going to win. I think it may be a little bit close. Um, man, I'm 
thinking 27, 13. I don't know. I'm up in the air, but rain around there, there for the score. Um, but I think the Bears will bounce back with a win. You're not going to like this, Caitlin. I have a prediction here. <laughs> Saints win 29, 16. Now, I think looking back on this, this, this might be a little disrespectful. I didn't realize uh, the how extreme this that win would be. If, if the Saints won by 13, I think everybody would be really – I think they'd be more surprised that the Saints did that than that the Bears did it. Because like you said before, I'm not buying the Saints hype. Um, I think I'm predicting this to be if the Saints play to the best of their abilities, I think they win this by over a touchdown. Uh, because Alvin Kamara versus that Bears defense and – the Bears are really bad at tackling. You saw what Ronald Jones did to them. Alvin Kamara is much better than him. Uh, no disrespect to Ronald Jones. But this could get really ugly really fast if uh, if they can't tackle in this one. But you do get a nice little break not having – oh, actually, the game's at home. So I think that does help a little bit uh, with running on the grass and the cold weather. Drew Brees can't throw the ball deep. So you give him a cold soldier field day. Uh, that ball is going to look like a paper airplane in the air. Um, but before I send you away, Caitlin, do you have any other thoughts on the uh, the Bears? So I have some thoughts in terms of Matt Nagy because the hot topic right now is, hey, should he give up his play calling duties? And he's already said today it's not happening. He's not there yet. He's actually more open to it. He So he's actually progressing to maybe he might give them away. But right now he's still going to be our play caller. But in my opinion, I'm kind of I kind of want to use the analogy with Mitchell Trubisky. When it came to him, I was holding out hope that he would get past these bad habits, holding out hope that he could improve and grow. And I'm kind of at that spot right now with Matt Nagy. I feel like I'm the only one on this island where I'm hopeful that he can make better and correct some of these bad habits and I'm it's hard to defend it now. So I'm at to the point where I'm like losing a little bit of hope, but I'm still holding out hope that he'll be better for us and make adjustments um, because I do believe in him as a head coach. He's consistently getting us to a winning record and it's not, he's not being carried by this defense. It, he, it's, it's not like, I, I just never buy into that argument. I mean, in 2017, we were five and 11 with John Fox and we had a lot of the same guys on defense. Sure. We got Khalil Mack that took us to the next level, but you can't just say, I mean, you can't just say Matt Nagy's consistently winning for us and say he's not a good head coach. So if he makes adjustments, I think we'll be better. But I'm not on this, let's fire Matt Nagy. I think he's a really good head coach. So I think if Bears fans just calm down a little bit, let's just get through this week and let's just hope Matt Nagy does make the adjustments he needs to do. And I think we both can agree on give David Montgomery the ball more. I'm sure his fantasy owners would want that as well. Um, and just to answer Andy Hopper's question, I do believe Michael Thomas will be back. He's listed as questionable, but I think he might play because of the, how important this game is, but don't be surprised if he doesn't play yet. He strained his hamstring. Um, thank you for coming on Caitlin. I'll be bringing on Kevin O'Brien to discuss the Packers Vikings game and uh, good luck to the bears this, this weekend. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. No problem. Anytime. So I'll be bringing on Kevin in just a second. First, I want to show a little teaser video into the great rivalry that is the Minnesota Vikings and Green Bay Packers. Moss. Randy Moss is in for a touchdown. Oh, Al Harris playing off. 
and Randy Moss, without even really being able to run as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. Lays it up for Freeman, and it's incomplete. Or did he make the catch at the 15? What are they going to rule it? He caught it? Touchdown! He did what? And welcome to the North Pole. Kevin O'Brien with the first in NFC nameplate. Okay, okay, I respect that. Um, what's going on with you? What's new? Same old Gabe, just uh, ready to talk uh, Vikings Packers preview here. Nice. Did you get a haircut? Yes. Looks good. Looks good. Um, I'm growing mine out to look like the Minnesota Vikings logo, uh, but I'm not quite there yet. So let's talk about this game. How many times has there been an awesome Vikings Packer game in our lifetime? No matter what the record is, it doesn't matter. That's, that's the stance I'm taking here. The records don't matter in this game. The Packers have owned the series 63 to 54. Packers were really good in the sixties. We get it. Um, but this game, you throw out week one. I'm not going to even talk about week one because that was not a Minnesota Viking team that I – they weren't wearing Minnesota Vikings colors. I was colorblind that day. They are going to be better. They played Russell Wilson amazing against him in, uh, in Seattle. Now you go to Green Bay. I think the Vikings put on a good performance. Tell me that Aaron Rodgers will have – tell me why you think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a great day. Gabe, let me just stop you here right now because I would have probably said the same exact quote if my team was one in five. Let's just break this down. This is a one in five football team playing a five and one football team. This is a football team that is one is playing first in the NFC and basically defending, not defending their title, but going for a title and they control their own destiny. So if they went out, they would probably, unless, Hold on, wait a second. Yeah, so if they went out, they controlled their destiny, and they could clinch a first-round bye into the playoffs. And the other team, they're basically playing for Trevor Lawrence, it seems like. I don't know uh, how true that is with Kirk Cousins still on the roster, but you never know with that man. And uh, some other stats here. One team is second in points per game with averaging 32.8. The other is 17th in points per game, averaging 25.8. I'll let you guess which team that is. And another interesting fact I'm looking at is turnover differential. One team is ninth in the league with plus two. The other is 30th in the league with minus seven. So Gabe, when you break it down, this is just a good team versus a bad team. That's really all that I'm looking at at this point. I'm not too, I'm not too like excited. Like, yes, Packers Vikings, let's go. It's going to be a great game. Cause I know deep down, it's just going to be another Packers victory. Probably not as close as last uh, last uh, week one. No, it wasn't really that close. The score seemed a little too close, but the Packers had that game in the bag after the second quarter. So, All right, so at what point in the game is this game over then? If the game last time was over in the second quarter, when is this one over, in your opinion? This one's probably over by the second quarter as well. I could see Kirk Cousins throwing a first or 
second quarter interception that just leaves them befuddled, looking like a buffoon. And all right, you're going, you're cutting out your Wi-Fi. Yeah, but... I really don't see any. Am I good? Yeah, you're good now. See me? All right. So, yeah, I, I got you. All right, so let's let's get to my my story here. You know, we we lost big time in week one. Jeff Gladney hadn't played in that game. He played eight snaps. Doesn't count. Um, Cam Dantzler had an awful game. Cam Dantzler still still bad, but you don't have Alan Lazard this week, and you got Jeff Gladney. Maybe Cam Dantzler guarding Devontae. We're going to be way more aggressive when it comes to rushing Aaron Rodgers. We gave him far too much time to be comfortable. We we have the template for stopping MVP-type quarterbacks, and that's blitzing. And you know who blitzed? The Green Bay Packers was Tampa Bay, and that worked 10 points for Aaron Rodgers. So don't expect Aaron Rodgers to sit back and be in the driver's seat in this game. If we're going to if we're going to lose, we're going to go down running engage eight press coverage all game like it's Madden, okay? We're going to be super aggressive, and I'm not even kidding. We're going to send jailbreaks. We send more jailbreak blitzes than any team in, in the NFL. It's a fact. Mike Zimmer has that little confidence in our secondary that he's willing to send eight guys at Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to do it. And Aaron Jones hasn't been running the ball awfully well. Not a lot of teams have been running the ball all too well against Minnesota, mostly because they could just pass the ball, but that's besides the point. And then on the other side, Minnesota running the ball, you have the worst rush defense in the league at 32nd. Uh, Dalvin Cook's coming back from a, just a little tweak in his groin. And, and Aubrey, yes, I, I just said that Dalvin Cook will not miss this game because this game is way too important for Minnesota. And general manager Rick Spielman, uh, who I don't really like right now because he's been saying he's going to trade Harrison Smith, Kyle Rudolph. It, this, he wants to go to the playoffs this year. He said, we are not tanking. We are shooting for the playoffs. So they're going to play Dalvin Cook. If he can run, if he can jog, he's going to play. At 80%, he'll play. So what do you think the Packers have to do defensively to stop Dalvin Cook? And just because you stop Dalvin Cook doesn't mean you stop this Viking offense. I will put that out there. Just get off the field on third down, honestly. I feel like that was a huge emphasis last or week during week one, even though the, the Packers went up on a two-touchdown game. The Packers never were able to get off the field on third down late in the third and fourth quarter when the Vikings kind of made that dumpster, dumpster trash kind of a comeback. But yeah, other than that, just basically if you shut down Dalvin Cook, you shut down this Minnesota Vikings offense. Andy Opper, hold me closer, Cam Dantzler. Cam Dantzler has is, is been struggling, but what he is okay at, is tackling, and both of our corners are great at tackling. Harrison Smith is going to be playing angry this week, I think, because of how much he's been talked about getting traded. I don't think Harrison Smith wants to hear that. Um, and guys that I think will step up is Irv Smith Jr. on offense. He's been having a really good past few weeks. And you, you got to remember, the Vikings had a bye week this week. And Gary Kubiak, although I, we've talked about on the show how he might be a little ancient in his ways, is he's very creative when it comes to getting Kirk Cousins' guys open. Um, they run a lot of double routes. They run a lot of bootlegs. They they try to dumb down the offense in a way where Kirk Cousins can can make plays. And I think 
with two weeks to prepare for this, the Packers are going to see plays that they hadn't seen in week one. How confident are you in the Packer defense? Let's not talk about it in terms of playing Minnesota because Minnesota is not a good sample size of what you guys are going to be fighting against in the playoffs. How confident are you in this defense with what you have healthy right now? Well, that's a that's a good question right now because I'm not sure on the status of Kevin King. He met he missed the last two games with a quad injury, and he's a huge part to this defense. They subbed in Josh Jackson uh, on the uh, second corner, and he he played well against the Tech and Texans, but uh, against the Bucks, he was just getting burned left and right, and that was a huge downfall in the Buccaneers game. But against the Texans, I feel like he stepped up and uh, kind of just did his job. Did it, did it pretty well, but if Kevin King is healthy for this game, then the Packers can easily cover up Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson basically with ease because if once Kirk Cousins drop back, drops back and doesn't see what he likes at first, he looks for his first option and doesn't see it, uh, Darius Smith or Preston Smith is going to be right in his face causing pressure, and Kenny Clark is back too, rushing up middle. So I'm I'm not too worried about this Green Bay defense. A lot of people like to talk about, oh, well, their defense isn't really that good this year, blah, blah, blah. They they do their job, and they do it decently well. So I'm not too worried about this Green Bay defense. And Tyler Lancaster, he got hurt during the – was it the Bucks game or the Texans game? I can't remember, but he hurt his shoulder, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be after this game. So it's a depleted defensive line. Kenny Clark, I don't know how many snaps he played against Houston. They probably didn't play him much just because they don't need they didn't need him to win. Uh is Kenny Clark coming into this game above 80% LP? Oh yeah, definitely. He played the full uh Buccaneers game, and I'm pretty sure he played the full Texans game. So he's gonna be out there on the field ready to go. Okay, so that's big, that's big for Dalvin for defending Dalvin Cook. But where Dalvin Cook thrives isn't in between the tackles, in my opinion. It's outside the tackles. And you don't have Christian Kirksey. How confident are you in your linebackers and in your secondary tackling in the open field? Because that seems to be an issue for Green Bay right now. I've talked on this show a little bit about a guy, a rookie out of Minnesota by the name of Kamal Martin, who just made his first NFL appearance last Sunday against the Texans. And he looked fast. He looked physical. He didn't start the game, but he finished the game. And what I saw from him, I was really kind of just excited. I thought, like, wow, we should definitely throw this guy in the starting lineup. He just looks. He just looks the part. He just looks like a not a not a big, but a athletic and fast and speedy linebacker that could really fit in with this Mike Pettin defense. So I'm excited about seeing him on the field this Sunday. And as for the inside linebacker. Uh, Chris Barnes got injured during the Texans game. I think he might have a concussion. I'm not too sure about that. Don't quote me on that. But if Chris Barnes is starting, then uh, their third string, they're down to their third string linebacker. And I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's he's kind of a smaller, he's not too big, not too fast kind of linebacker. He's a third string linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. So we'll see what we're dealing with come Friday after the uh, practice report comes about who's playing and who's not playing. And I wanted to include, I wanted to ask how's David Bakhtiari's chest uh, is, has he been shotgunning too many beers? What's going on with his chest? That's a weird injury. They just say chest on the injury report. 
I don't know what that means. <laughs> me either, me either, Gabe. I, every time I look, I see chest. I think, what could that be? Just a pectoral muscle torn, maybe, which would be probably worst case scenario. I'm pretty sure torn pectoral muscle is like a a season ending injury. But other than that, like I have no idea what he possibly could have done to a chest injury. But I don't know his status for this this game on Sunday. Obviously, if he plays, that's a huge bonus. He's the best left tackle in football. But if not, then the Packers are gonna see. They're probably gonna start Billy Turner at left tackle, like they did for this Texans game. Instead, Bill, uh, Billy Turner has always been kind of the right tackle, right guard. They they've been mixing and matching their offensive linemen throughout the whole season. So I'd, I, if David Bakhtiari isn't playing, I'd expect him to play Billy Turner at the left tackle. And you don't have to go up against Yannick Ngakwe this week. So that's that's very fortunate for your your adjusting offensive line. Before I let you go, Kevin, got to know what your score prediction is for this game. Ooh, I haven't thought about this. Score prediction. All right. If I run the numbers in my head, Give me a second. One more second. <laughs> it's probably going to be a 27 to 10 game. Wow. Okay. Hope so you're slamming, you're slamming the under on this one after the first game was 43 to 34. Uh, well, that's bold, but I have other things in mind. I'm thinking this is more of a 2012 week 17 Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings game where Adrian Peterson ran for over 2,000 yards in that one. Uh, that was the game where he came nine yards short of Eric Dickerson's record. I'm going with Vikes win, 37-34. Blair Walsh comes out onto the field to kick the game winner. <laughs> that was the golden year of Blair Walsh. It was 2012, by the way. But Vikes win, 37-34. For that to happen, uh, Dalvin Cook's going to have to play. And like I said, this offense isn't – they're not the Bears. They're not the Bears' offense. This offense can put up points. They've put up over 30 points in several games this year, and almost all of them, actually. Uh, so I expect them, with that bye week, to come out hot, and I think the Packers are going to underestimate them. With that said, Kevin, do you have anything else to add? Uh, just one more thing. Like I said earlier, Gabe, this is a bad team playing a good team. Don't get your hope hopes up. It's going to be a bad Sunday for you. Fair enough, Kevin. Fair enough. You you can go to bed a lot happier knowing I owe you $50. Uh, but for Kevin O'Brien, uh, and for th- that'll end this segment. Uh, thanks for coming on. And actually, one more segment after Kevin. Um, is the naughty list. Kevin, you can stay and watch uh, in backstage if you want. Okay. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. So before I head out and go eat some tacos on Taco Tuesday, I'm going to be giving you my weekly NFC North naughty list, and that will uh, be a short one. And some familiar, not familiar faces, but people that we've been talking about on this show will be on this naughty list. So here I go. Uh, Stay tuned after this intro video.
everybody. The NFC Naughty List is back. And Santa is here on Halloween week. Instead of coal for this week, each person on the Naughty List will be getting black licorice. So here we go. Naughty List number one. Bears offensive coordinator and head coach Matt Nagy. His play calling is so bad that for Christmas, I will be giving him a new edition of Madden 21 because he should be asking Madden for which play to call. They, Madden could probably do it better than he can. And to be quite honest, I run a nice little rec league up in the North Pole with my little elves. And when you have an undersized, underperforming offensive line, you simply need to run the ball more. Next on the naughty list is Rick Spielman, Vikings general manager. This is a nice picture of him with Harrison Smith before he pulled the plug on him this past week, telling reporters that he is possible to get traded before the deadline. Now, Harrison Smith has been a very loyal player to Minnesota, Rick, and to be quite honest, getting rid of him would be tearing out a little piece of my heart. Rick Spielman, you're kind of a clown for that. I would expect you to trade anybody but Harrison. and. With that said, that will wrap up this week's Naughty List. Uh, Santa Claus thanks you for listening to the show. And he hopes you come and watch next week's show, Tuesday, 6 o'clock. For Gabe Flayton, signing off. And don't forget to subscribe to the Review and Preview YouTube page that is called Review and Preview Sports. Have a good night, everybody.